Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. Good to see Ralph Sampson again. Welcome to another week. Great guest today. I'll tell you about just a second. A guy who played just a little, little basketball in his career, Ralph Evans, to know the guy very well. A little ahead of Ralph's time, but other than yeah, that. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, he was uh, pretty good. How you doing? I guess basketball right around the corner, huh, as we get ready for November? Yeah, the fall is setting in. The leaves are getting ready to change. My body is sensing that basketball is in the air, and, and my uh, – Mine is there. My body's not quite there, Max, so I got to get it ready. But, yeah, it's basketball time here. NBA preseason is winding down, so I'm excited. Yeah, because, I mean, the National Hockey League has started and, uh, uh, you know, just meaning – and this is such a great time with, with baseball and the drive of the World Series and everything, and then you throw in college football and basketball. It's such a, you know, great time with basketball getting started. Um, we're going to talk about Rick Barry in just a second. I'll, I'll let out the, the, the cat out of the bag. Rick is our guest. Al Groh used to have this quote, pickers pick, players play, you know, so the ACC media, uh, you know, the ACC <laughs> media preseason got together and they, you know, trying to figure out who's number one. Uh, you can probably throw them, I don't know, five or six schools in a bucket, and just pull them out. But what Duke, Carolina, Florida State, the top three with Virginia Tech being picked fourth and UVA being picked fifth. So I think you could take those five schools. You can put them in a, again, just put them in a drum, roll the drum, and see who comes out number one, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Duke's loaded, Coach K's final season, you know. Uh, you know, So I'm sure everybody wanted to load up for him to win a national title. Well, you know, he had Zion and the boys and still couldn't win a national title. So you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, as much as I love UVA and Tony Bennett, right, you can yeah. never count him out. Yeah. Um, I've been to a couple of practices. They are rounding in shape. And by midseason, I'm sure he'll have them in rare form. But again, Mac, this is ACC. 
You can't yeah. count anybody out in ACC. Yeah. I mean, Florida State, you can't count any of these teams out at all because it's, it's a challenge playing night in and night out in the ACC basketball conference. And if you put the spotlight on the state of Virginia with Mike Young at Virginia Tech, ACC coach of the year last spring, uh, you know, turned around a team and they got, what, third in the, in the COVID year uh, in the ACC and just, you know, he had a really good year. He gets Kevin Aluma back, of course, who was, you know, going to do the NBA thing. And then, and Kevin Aluma comes back. Um, but Virginia and Virginia tech will, you know, it'll be a show. They'll never be Duke and Carolina, but this should be a really good show because then with Tony Bennett's Tony Bennett has, has 10 consecutive winning seasons in the ACC. Only two other coaches have done that. And you know who they are, Mike Krzyzewski and the late Dean Smith. So, you know, and with what Tony always does, I mean, I think this is going to be a remarkable year, should be a fun year, and uh, and we'll have a lot of basketball to cover, I know. I mean, Mike, you said 10 seasons as a head coach at UVA, and he ranked with Dean Smith? Yeah, not bad. Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, that's Hall of Fame talent right there, right? So that's why you can't count him out. And the system is good. Players adapt to it. If they listen, they learn. And, you know, some people might say it's hard to watch, but I always say UVA should give that dude with a lifetime contract because of the way he is for UVA. He's a perfect coach for Virginia's culture, the family of UVA athletics. Uh, he's just the right guy. And he can coach a little bit, man. Mm-hmm. He's not too bad. Yeah, he can coach a little bit. Uh, one more question before we go to break. How do you feel about the 20-game season? The, the conference season? You know, it's, you know, it, it, it's all in the numbers, right? Right. Uh, financially, it's all in numbers. So it's tough. Uh, you got so many teams. I, I like the, uh, when we play, when we played there, they played our house. You know, we had the vice versa. So we got a chance mm-hmm. to play it. Now, sometimes you play one here, you only play a team once all year. So I like to go to their place to play and I like them to come out. club. they yeah. beat us, I want to go there and beat them. So, yeah. I just like the way it used to be where the rivalries were built in a bigger way because you get to play somebody twice in, in your conference. Yeah, a, a big home and home guy for sure. Well, we'll go to break, and when we come back, he's outspoken. He's a heck of a basketball <laughs> player. He is fun to talk to, and Ralph has collared him, and I can't wait to get on the other a side. Hall of Famer, Mac. A Hall of Hall Famer. He's good. Another, yeah, another Hall of Famer, and, of course, the whole ABA, NBA story. Rick Berry's with us, and that underhand free throw, where in the heck did that start? We'll, we'll get into all those stories and more. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Wilson with a rebound, Berry down court, pass and a basket. Good play by Golden State. 
Down the tap, last five seconds. He wants Witherspoon at the buzzer. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. And Ralph, a, a delight for me today, and I'll let you do the introduction officially, but one of the great basketball players of all time, Hall of Famer Rick Barry, led the ABA, led the NBA, truly one of the greats of the game. No, I, I should say where's his wife at because between Rick and his wife and his kids, well, we built a relationship over the years. It's good to have you on your show uh, locally in radio, national podcast. But, uh, Mike, you mentioned something about and, and Rick, me and Mike go way back 40 years when I was at UVA. He was a color commentary, uh, the radio announcer, all that stuff at UVA when I played. And so I always say we got – quirky questions about athletes, but the makes, most thing that I know about you over the years, and I was telling Rick earlier, I mean, telling Mac earlier, is your competitive spirit, right? And everything you do, and I'm sure, fan, look, he's smiling. I got him smiling. Everything you do has a competitive <laughs> spirit. So tell me about that, that Rick Barry competitive spirit, because I know it still exists. They got to see. I think I got, I got perfectionism from my father. I mean, I'm really, I am a perfectionist. I, I've learned as I gotten older and everything that you'll never play the perfect game, but I sure as hell try every time I went out there to play. Uh, and I just, I, I hate losing. I mean, I, <laughs> when I see some of these games and I watch guys in the bench getting their ass kicked and they're over there laughing at one another and doing stuff. I mean, I have a real problem with that. I mean, if mm-hmm. I was a GM of a team and everything and I saw that stuff, I'd find those guys. I said, you know, this is not a joke. You just went out there and played like horse manure mm-hmm. and we're paying you all this money. And you think this is a joke. I mean, I, I you got to have, you got to care. My father always said, and I'm getting ready actually to talk to a group of employees and a bunch of people up at the Mohegan Sun week in another week or so. Uh-huh. And, and they wanted to talk about leadership and stuff. And I said, well, yeah, part of that is great. I said, but I think you got to be successful before you can be a leader. You, you have to know what it takes to be a success in order to be right. a leader. And then you try to help people to be able to let them become successful. And then hopefully they can go on to be leaders as well. But the thing is, is my dad's, and he put pride. He said, son, take pride in everything that you do in life. And that means give your best effort, regardless of whether it's in the classroom, whether it's on the basketball court, whether it's whatever your field of endeavor happens to be, always give your best effort. And there's a lot of things that go along with that and the different characteristics and qualities it takes to go ahead and, and become successful. But if you don't take pride in what you're doing, I don't think you really have a chance to be as great as you have the chance to, as, as what you might be based upon your natural skills and abilities. It's just not going to happen. And along with that, it's you know, putting the time and the effort in and immersing yourself in the fundamental principles and concept of your endeavor so that you know it inside out. Because if you can't build a tall building on a small skyscraper, a skyscraper on a small foundation, it goes up so high, it's going to topple over. And there's a lot of guys, and I think you would agree with me on this, Ralph. There's guys in the NBA who are there on sheer incredible athleticism who will never be as good as they should be because they really don't understand how to utilize the incredible gifts and talents that they have to their fullest. And as good as they are, they could actually be even better but they don't understand how to play the game the way it was meant to be played. So, I mean, case in point, case in point, Rick Zion Williams went to Duke. I mean, he's an athletic freak, right? But will his game ever get to the level where he can dominate the game of basketball like he perceived to be? 
to the public. I don't know his question. I'm still my jury's out with him, right? So he's somewhat like you're talking about. Well, first of all, for them, it's a matter of is he going to stay healthy. I mean, he jumps so high, he's so big and powerful, and all, and he seems to be a bit injury prone. And hopefully, for his sake, he'll stay healthy because he's fun to watch. He seems to be improving with his outside shot, which is the one thing was the most important thing he needed to do. But hey, let's face it, Michael Jordan wasn't a great shooter when he came into the pros. I mean, I right. did the podcast of him. I said, man, he's got to learn to be a better shooter. Well, he became, you know, a really outstanding mid-range shooter. Obviously, going to the basket's a whole nother story. You didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. And then I said, well, he can't shoot the three. Well, then all of a sudden now, the next thing you know, he he went out and did what you're supposed to do, which is improve. Study your weaknesses. What do I have to work on to be better next season? Never be satisfied with what you're doing. Hell, I got to be a better free throw shooter at the end of my career because I was never satisfied. Hell, I was one of the best in the, in the, the games ever seen, and I wasn't satisfied and became even better. Yeah. And so you, you always have to keep working at it to try to get better. And hopefully for Zion's sake, that he'll keep working on those aspects of the game and learn. And this happened to Kevin Durant, who I was a great player, offensive player. I said when he went to Golden State, I said playing the way Golden State plays the game He's going to become a better player because he was not a facilitator. Right. He was no, not right. a guy that helped make his teammates better. He's an unbelievable, unstoppable scorer, can shoot the ball from everywhere, free throw line, mid-range, three-pointer. But he he wasn't a facilitator and he became a facilitator. And then he also got to be a nice weak side help defender. And right. so he just became a better player because why? Because he was playing the game the way the game was meant to be played, and it turned him into just an incredible player who will be obviously first ballot Hall of Famer when he's done. He is Rick Barry, one of the greatest ever playing the NBA. Rick, when you're talking about that on the other side, from a coach's standpoint, I don't know who you value as the greatest coaches ever, and maybe you could tell us, but how do, how do, how do coaches today then bring the best out of these guys? How can they motivate them, and, and can coaches do that? Well, first of all, if you have to motivate your players, <laughs> general manager did a horse manure job of picking up players. Good point. Okay. No, seriously. Yeah. And why would you draft a guy who's not self-motivated? Right. Good point. That's what I'm talking about to the pride of doing stuff. If you have to motivate a guy, you made a bad choice. <laughs> Very simple. You made well, a well, 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 Rick, if, if that money don't motivate you, nothing will, right? I mean, you, you, you're making. It's not the money, Ralph. I mean, I let me tell you, I used to laugh. I made my. I made $15,000 in my first year playing. Okay. Second player picked in the draft. They forgot three zeros. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so, but here's the thing. And, and I got a $3,000 signing bonus, no agent or anything. Here's the deal. When I got my check, I'm saying, this is unbelievable. They're paying me to play basketball. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's not about the money. It's about the personal pride. Yeah. And always giving your best effort to do the best that you can do. And I was self-motivated. And so that's why some coaches, the last thing I needed is to play for a coach who hollered and screamed. I, I was ready to quit basketball in high school because I had a whack job coach who <laughs> screamed and hollered and did stuff. And I told my mom, my, my father, when I went home, he says, I'm not playing anymore. I quit. I can't deal with this guy. And they said, you can't, you can't do that, son. You know, you're going to, you got a scholarship, you get a chance for a scholarship to college and do something. I said, I can't deal. I can't stand them. And so they had to talk me back into not quitting basketball because of the coach, because there is no way that any coach understanding the game the way that I did and with my, as you say, my, my desire to, to, to win and always be mm -hmm. the best, that he could be more mad at me than I am at myself because I know <laughs> I mean, so why are you yelling at me? What do you want to yell at me for? I'm more upset with myself than you are at me. Right. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. Yeah, I had a clipboard thrown at me. I didn't see why. I just thought I had a better idea of the play you know so oh, listen i went through some of that stuff too yeah. I mean, I, and here's the deal i'm going to tell you right now 
I coaches, you can't pick the best coach unless you've played for a guy and you've been there to see what mm-hmm. he does. But the the only way, and when I talk to the people, the speech coming up, it's the same way. If you're going to be a leader, you the most critical element to be a leader, which should be the coach, the, the manager of your of your department or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, mm-hmm. right? You have got to be able to intelligently analyze the skill of your employees and you're an employee as a player. So whether it's a player or an employee, whatever it is, you must understand what can they do well? What do they not do well? And then you have to put them in a situation where they can excel. So the same thing, especially in sports, Mm -hmm. I think the real problem a lot of times is that coaches have their systems. If you're fortunate enough and football does this a lot, if you're drafting people to be able to play in the system of the coach, that's fine. It'll work. Right. But if you're drafting players based on skill and talent, that may not be fitting into the system properly the way it should. That coach has got to change his freaking system (laughs) because you're wasting talent. The greatest example I give, it goes from many years back because it just sticks in my head and I know him and he turned into be a hell of a player. He played for Dick Mata and Dick Mata's style, his system. I mean, slow it down, right? Get it there. Big guy. I played with Dick in Sacramento. So I understand. (laughs) Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So, he winds up hardly doing anything at all, gets traded. And it wasn't like all of a sudden he learned how to play. He got to go someplace where they let him play the way he could play in a more open system, wound up becoming an all-star player, wound up leading the league in three-point shooting, and that's Dale Ellis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, who I yeah. always thought was one of the greats. Yeah, yeah but when he was there, he did nothing at Dallas when Mata was there because he didn't let him play the way he played. He made him play in his system. The system sucked for him. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it did. But see, Dick Mata was a, wasn't a basketball coach. He was a football coach. Uh, and, and whatever so, it, is, it didn't work. And all I can tell you, I've it didn't work. Coach. I mean, I'm not I get Yeah, I'm not going to go ahead and berate him stuff. Some people know. No, no, I don't. I, I'm just no, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about him. Well, another coach that I had, it did, it's just it. I was not allowed to run the pick and roll play. Oh, wow. I made a living off the pick and roll play. And I'll put myself and Clifford Ray up against any two people in the history of the game. And let's break down film and see who runs the pick and roll play best. And I wasn't allowed to do it one season. I I, I was like, I was dumbfounded by that. So anyway, uh, when, when, with, the, with the great crook Clifford Ray, he knocks somebody's head off in the pick and roll. He's gonna pick them really good and get open with <laughs> oh, your no, talent. He, yeah, he doesn't, no, 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 that's another thing, Ralph. He doesn't pick anything. In fact, if you were there, you, your job as the screener, you're not a screener, you're a stationary object until I make you a screener as right. your teammate. It is my responsibility, and nobody talks about this on TV, and it drives me insane. The man puts himself, and this is where a guy is good. You put yourself in the best position. Clifford was great at putting himself in a great position, making it easier for me to make him a screener. It's my job to run my man into him, therefore right. making him a screener. He doesn't do anything. Like they, I hear even the coaches, Jeff Van Gundy. Well, he didn't set a very good screen. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody sets, a, nobody sets a screen. Nobody sets a screen. I, his teammate, make him a screener by running my man to him. Then he becomes a screener. And that's something that's never talked about. And that's why you see so many people moving all the time. Why? Because you think you got to do it. Well, you you didn't set. Well, I mean, if I have to set something, that means I got to do something. Well, uh, you got to set a screen. No, just stand there and (laughs) let your teammate do the work for you. That's all you have to do. And it's never talked about. It's one of the most abused parts of the game. If Kevin Garnett, as great a player as he was, if they called moving screens, Kevin Garnett would have fouled out of every game he played in because he moved all the time. And unless you take a guy's head off, they rarely call moving screens in the NBA. 
There is no way that you can compare what Russell Westbrook did. And what he did was remarkable. I don't care. You're a guard and you're, you get triple-double for a season. That's remarkable. But the difference is, is that Oscar Robertson just played. The last time I looked when he got his triple-doubles, he didn't play nine games against Will Chamberlain, against Bill Russell, against Nate Thurman, against Walt Bellamy. This guy's going to the basket, Duncan. That never would have happened if he played against those guys. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. The great Rick Barry is with us, who became one of the greats in the ABA and NBA. Rick, could you take us, give us a little history lesson on what was happening with all that? I know you were a big part of it. The, the transition from ABA, NBA back, you know, back and forth and, and, you know, going to Washington, then back with the Warriors and that whole thing. What was it about the ABA at the time that attracted you? Nothing. <laughs> I, I was, I, I made first, as a rookie, I made first team all pro, which doesn't happen very often. I made first team all pro my second season. We come within two pick and roll plays involving Nate Thurman, my teammate, my wonderful mm-hmm. great teammate, and, and Will Chamberlain, that if they had gone our way, we could have won the championship in six games. That's how close it was. And I led the league in scoring, I'm the MVP of the all-star game, and I didn't have a lot of fun. Because unfortunately, and I really liked him as a person, but Bill mm-hmm. Sharman was not fun to play for. And, and people laugh and say, that is your job. Well, he made it like a job. But basketball had never been a job for me. It had been fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hardly ever, ever had a day off. Uh, the, the morning shoot arounds, which I think is a gift from hell. <laughs> no, I think it's the biggest waste ever in the game of basketball to have a morning shoot around that was started out with being in our sneaks and jeans just to get it was to get you out of bed so right, you didn't right, play right. bed and leave your game there right and and, and so you could go i said well here, here's the thing why don't we just go into a, you know, a nice meeting room at the hotel and we can walk through the stuff we have to walk through i and now it's turned into a full-scale freaking workout and i'm saying in the great i get i'll end this with a great story so i really i hated those things Right. And I, a couple of times, even doing stuff. And then we had to get up so early because we didn't have chartered flights. You get right, done with the right. game, fall asleep at four o'clock in the morning. You're playing the next night. You got to get up to get to 6.30. You're the first flight out. You got to catch the first commercial flight out. Yeah, so you yeah, get yeah. no sleep, right? You're getting no sleep. You get to the plane. I said to Bill, we were playing at Boston. And so in the old days, we played at the Madison Hotel, which is like right there near the Boston, the old Boston Garden. And it's maybe seven minutes six uh, to the air to the airport through the Sumner tunnel yeah and I said Bill I said can I just sleep an extra half an hour and and, and go well and as soon as you said well I knew there was no chance <laughs> yeah. I, I, he said well, well suppose you get a flat in the tunnel I said Bill if I leave a half an hour later and we have a flat in the tunnel I can take my bag and walk to the airport and still make money. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the type of things that, you know, that are crazy. So here's the deal. So he, obviously we come close. He winds up leaving, goes to the Lakers, right? He's coaching there and he's got, he's got Wilt. So this is, this is the great, one of the greatest stories ever. So Wilt goes up to him finally when he understands the thing, he said, look, Bill, here's the deal. I'm going to show up at the arena one time today. Do you want me at 10 in the morning or 7 in the morning? It will be well. That will be well. I wish I wish I had been a veteran dude because I would have loved to have said that to him. You picture. But with the whole Oakland Oaks thing and the Virginia Squires thing and going back, so was the ABA worth it to you when you made the well, – Here's the thing. I, I did it mainly because I didn't have a good time, and my then former college coach, who was my – 
father-in-law at the time was going to mm -hmm. be the coach. And so I said, okay, here's an opportunity maybe that I'll go over and I'll do that. And so I, I asked him, I said, okay, here's the deal. Give me your best offer. And then I'm going to go back to the Warriors and I'm going to ask them for their best offer. And if the, if the Warriors give me an offer that's close to yours, I really do believe that I owe it to the war and I'll stay, I'm going to stay with the Warriors. Mm -hmm. And the Warriors just, they blew it. I mean, they, they gave me a, they gave me a low ball offer. It was nowhere close to the thing. I mean, I, I was offered $75,000, I think by the uh, Oakland Oaks to do that. And back mm -hmm. in those days, my goal when I came in was to be a hundred thousand dollar player. There were only four guys making a hundred thousand dollars in the NBA when I came in. Wow. And so I figured, you know, with that, and they had a clause to do it. And I had things based upon attendance and stuff. Well, that's not a guarantee. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to show up for the games. I right. Mean, so, and I had made, I think I made 30 and I got a bonus for something the next year. So I made like 45. So they just blew it. They just gave me an offer. So they opened the door for me to be able to go. And, uh, you know, I, and so, and then it turned out that my father-in-law became the, was the general manager and they wind up hiring Alex Hannum, who was my rookie coach, who I really liked a lot. And so that worked out fine. But from the standpoint, we had some really great individual players and all. They didn't have any super great teams necessarily that would compete against the best teams in the NBA. But it was a wonderful opportunity for a lot of players who had never gotten a chance to get into the league and to play and become pros who wound up becoming great players. I mean, a lot of Hall of Fame players mm -hmm. started their careers in the, you know, in the ABA. I mean, you talk about the different guys, you know, Artis Gilmore and Iceman. I mean, Mel Daniels, you can go down the list of a lot of great players who played there. So um, but here's the deal. If I had to do it over again and I could be where I am today with the amazing wife that I have with an incredible youngest son, Canyon, who, who Ralph knows. And by the yeah. way, Ralph, the worst game he's ever had in, in college, college was when you came to watch him play. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that was the worst game he had in college when we were at that game. But anyway, so if I could have that and have the friends that I have and be in the situation I'm in right now and know that beforehand. I would never have, I would never have left the NBA. And I really do believe that my, that my stature, if it really means anything in the game and the way I would have been perceived if I had mm -hmm. stayed there. I mean, I gave up one of the best years of my career, you know, sitting out right. and I was still young. I mean, hell, I had, you know, I was a leading scorer in the freaking league MVP of the all-star game. two times. <laughs> I mean, if I had stayed and just continued to play and hadn't gotten hurt, because you have to understand, I played the rest of my career on a leg and a knee. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was like 75% of what it should have been. Mm -hmm. So God only knows what I might've been able to do if I was a hundred percent. So, you know, so if I could do it, I, I, pro I wouldn't do it. I, I guarantee you right now, if I knew I can have what I just told you, I would never have left the, the NBA. I'm going to come back to the wife and son because, you know, Rick is great, but the wife and son are really good. So, she, you know, they got a different cool than that, but he did True. a good job there. But you know, I, I get uh, something stuck in my crawl when they talk about big men, right? And you played with Will or against Will, whatever, but they always leave Will out of the equation with Shaq and all these. How, what was Will? I mean, the best big man ever. I mean, he was so strong. I met him going into the league. He was high jumping, seven feet tall. I mean, Will Chambers was a freak of nature, but you know, but you you saw him live. What's your opinion about Will and the, and the big man? And there's no big man today, but he doesn't get – I think the accolades or the notoriety that I think he should. Well, if you understand the game and you know how, here's the thing, taking all the skills that you can have as a big man playing the game of basketball, as a center, a true center, there is no one that can hold the candle to him. No. No one. Absolutely no one. Bill Russell, as an all-around player and doing stuff, no. Yeah. But as a defender and helping your team win championships, Bill, the greatest, okay? And he right. had great players and all, and he was one of the most impactful players ever for championships and dynasties. 
incredible. But as a skilled player in all the skills required of being a center, to hold what, what compared to Wilt? No. The only thing he would compare to is maybe block shots because Wilt blocked tons of shots too, but they didn't yeah. keep that stat. Right, right, right. I tell people, you understand, I scored like whatever it was, 37 points a game. I don't know what the hell it was. I mean, it's a high in mid thirties, whatever. Did I have to score seven, 13 more points a game for 80 something games to average 50 points a game? I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys never averaged 13 a game. Right, right. Yeah. So I got to put 13 more on top of what I had. And he was so powerful, so incredibly strong. There's, there's just incredible stories about his strength and the way he yeah, played. Yeah. But he also was 22 and a half rebounds per game for his career. Right. Dennis Robin with the greatest rebounders ever. What? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, he was a great rebounder, but nobody, I mean, other than Russell, who probably had great Nate Thurman back in those days who were up in the you know, 18, whatever it might have been, but 22.5 rebounds a game. I mean, that's that's just nuts. So, yeah, well, if you're going to pick, and that's why, see, this is what they do with the top 75. The NBA sometimes misses the boat on a lot of things. And what they missed the boat on, it's really nice you got the 75, but you can't pick 75 players and say, who's here? I just heard where somebody put me on, and I said, what, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, right. so here's the deal. They have to go pick them, but pick them by positions. Now you can right. have an honest debate. You can't compare Magic Johnson to Will Chamberlain. I keep telling people when I hear the talking heads, who's the GOAT? Who's the GOAT? I said, hell, when I played, the GOAT was the guy that screwed up. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, the right, greatest right. of all time i mean so here's the deal you can't compare in any team sport it has to be by position now you can have a great one you're going to pair mickey mantle to to uh sandy koufax no <laughs> can't do that right, I mean, no, can't do if they did that you can really have an interesting conversation and a, a debate about who you think is better make your points and stuff but only in their position now i know guys can play otherwise you know lebron can play point at times which he does i mean he brings up the ball to the floor but he's a three okay right he's really a three and michael's a two so let's not compare lebron to michael but let's compare you want to compare michael to kobe yeah right you have an interesting debate about that for sure and then you're going to say the three well you're going to throw Byron bird in there you're going to throw matt you're going to throw lebron in there you got to throw kevin durant into that because he's a natural three right right so, i mean and if you did that you can really have some fun point position magic johnson steve nash i mean all the other great ones that have been out there now you can have some fun doing it you can't compare everybody you're going to compare lebron james to will chamberlain no thank you can't compare him to jerry west who was a two you can't compare him to Michael Jordan, who was a two, which everybody does. Greatest of all time, man. He's, no, he's the greatest three of all time. But you can't say he's better than Will Chamberlain. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. Ralph Sampson. Rick Barry is with us, one of the greats to ever play the game. Rick, would you... Would you ever consider team ownership? You got to be joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know this answer, but I wanted to ask. I mean, I mean seriously, first, first of all, I'd have to be, to be a lot younger and, and make $40 million or more a year when I was playing and then, <laughs> then absolutely kill social media. Because if I was younger, I would make more money doing social media with, with, with the business background I had than I would make mm -hmm. basketball because it's just an incredible opportunity to do things if you do it properly and know how to market. But no, I, I would not. And there's so many more things that I could do with, uh, with, with that kind of money if I had that kind of money to help other people out. And what you have to deal with 
in sports with the <laughs> some of the egos and some of the I mean seriously I mean look at it. I mean how do you feel about the guy you're the owner of the freaking nets and you got a guy to saying I'm not getting a vaccination so I'm I'm not gonna play. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on so if he played with you we and oh me we like curse him out and like you know get lost we don't care if you play or not why don't you just go somewhere right because you don't get vaccinated but he's losing I mean how do you lose four hundred thirty five thousand dollars a game it ain't about the money. I understand he's whatever, but that guy's kind of a weird guy to me. Uh, well, he's you know, actually a very intelligent guy and speaks exceptionally well. And but I, I I can't take anything away from him. He's entitled to do what he feels is best for him. I have a real problem with with the mandates. I understand why you want to try to protect people, but I think there's been so much misinformation sent yes. out about the vaccine, about COVID. And every time you pick up and start reading stuff, you don't know who to believe. You don't know what's going on. The CDC himself changed ideas and stuff. Oh, masks mm -hmm. are great. Well, masks aren't that great. This is that. That's that. This is such a freaking, such a conundrum that we're involved in here. I don't even like to talk about it because unfortunately, it all was a politically motivated thing that started yeah, yeah. out. I, I can't take anything away from Kyrie. If he doesn't want to do it, that's his his thing. My thing is, yeah, sure, you don't want to go ahead and cause a problem for someone else. But if there's a problem with somebody who's older and they have some morbidities and they have some health issues, I think, oh, take the dang vaccine. Why would you not do that? But the, the proof of the pudding is, is that very few people are going to die if they caught COVID. I mean, seriously, mm -hmm. just, look at the, just look at the statistics. And if you just look at it and you do your own in-depth analysis and look at what the source is and where it's coming from. There's a lot of conspiracy things out there as well, too, and you got to be careful of it and get caught up on that. But there's, there's not, I don't think there's enough information that's come out as to just how good the vaccine truly is. My whole thing is for sure, I will take the position. If a player has had COVID and has antibodies, for him to have to take the vaccine, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense from everything I've heard and everything I've read about it, that they're actually going to be more resistant to with their antibodies to the variants of COVID-19, having those antibodies because your system is going to work it really well. So again, let's get off and talk. That's a whole, whole different subject, right? For sure. No, no, we get that. Yeah. When you were one of the things uh, I read, Rick, before the interview, you were, you know, you love baseball and, um, uh, you know, you love Willie Mays and, and growing up in Jersey. Did you ever consider or think about going to a baseball career? Uh, no, because it's just, it, I, I wish I had played it and done it in college. You know, they tried to get me to come play in college. You know, I kind of mm -hmm. wish I did it just for fun, just to be able to go and be a two sport guy and do like some of the other guys, sure. like Dion did and some of the other guys, Bo Jackson and guys. It, it would have been interesting because, uh, you know, I think I'm a really pretty good, pretty darn good athlete all around. And I think I could have been a really good baseball player because I was better than I was in basketball. I mean, I rarely ever struck out. I had really great eye-hand coordination. And I batted 460 in my junior year and I batted 360 in my senior year. But mm. the only reason I batted 360 in my senior year is because I was skinny and I couldn't get around on some of the guys that threw fastballs, but I always made contact in the field we played on had fences and stuff in right center and right. And I was hitting everything to right center and getting home <laughs> runs and stuff. I got a little bigger and stronger. And next year I started pulling no fences. I'm hitting balls that have been over the fence in right center that are outs. Uh, and so, yeah, and I could do it and I could, I could, you know, I was a good pitcher, you know, I threw, you know, no hitters and other stuff like that, but I'm an A type personality. You know, it's slow. And that's why I switched. I was center field, Willie Mays. That was my hero. So I wore 24. Mm -hmm. And how I sometimes I play a game. I'd never see a ball. 
You right. literally can play center field at a baseball team and play seven, nine innings and never see a ball. So I said, this is not, so I pitched, I did pitching too. I said, well, the pitching's great. But then I said, I got to stop playing center field when I'm not pitching because you know, I got I to go to first base. At least I get a good action. And so what happened is the junior varsity coach wouldn't play me when I didn't pitch. I said, coach, this is not the major leagues. I said, I'm batting 500 now in the junior varsity. I want to play when I don't pitch. I'm batting better than anybody on the team. I've played every position. I don't want to play catcher, but I want to play when I'm not pitching. Next game, I pitch, batting ninth, one for two. I'm not starting. I said, goodbye. See you <laughs> so, and I should thank him because I then went and really devoted all my time and energies to working on my basketball. Spent the whole summer going, getting up in the morning, having breakfast. My mother fixed me lunch. I'd be gone till dinner time. Just go there. If nobody was there, I just practiced drills and stuff and practice all day, play all day. Did that all summer long for the next two summers, the next the next three summers, actually. And then the, the varsity coach the next year as a junior said, we'd like to have it come out for baseball. I said, well, if I'm not pitching, Am I going to play? He said, yes, for sure. You'll play. I said, okay. Oh. I'll come and I made all state two years. Your family. I mean, just really great kids and uh, you know, good things. I've heard great things about Shannon, your daughter and everything. What kind of, what kind of father were you? What philosophy did you follow to make your, your, your kids turn out to be so great? Well, I don't, the only credit I get for them is from the basketball standpoint. And the other thing is what my father told me, take pride in everything you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, classroom, wherever it is, try to be the best you can be in whatever it is you decide you want to do. And along with that, you can't be afraid to fail. You're not a perfect human being. You're going to fail. If you have intelligence, you're going to learn from those mistakes and you don't keep making the same mistakes and you just keep getting better and better and better and never be satisfied. I wish I could have around. Unfortunately, I, you know, I got divorced from their moms and I wasn't able to be around. I tried to do as best as I possibly could. Uh, and that's the, probably the thing that I regret more than anything else is not, you know, being there. Cause I love my kids and I, I think I was a good father. And in fact, my boys, it was crazy. I told people, I says, just think how lucky I was. I got to take my boys to my job, which it mm -hmm. wasn't a job for me. Cause when you love what you're doing, it's not a job. You know, that's why I tell the young kids, I said, find a passion, learn as much as you can about it. And then you can get paid and be like me and you get to do what you love and somebody pays you for it. That's what you want to do with your life and you know, make your life enjoyable. And they would be, they would come, they would go and have the pregame meal, go take a nap and stuff and have their little ball boy uniforms on. And I had, I had all four of them, I had all four of them yeah. as ball boys. In fact, the year that we won the championship, the other year later, the year we won the championship, had John and Scooter doing it. And then when I was later, when I went back, when I was with the Warriors later, then a few years later, my all four of my boys were ball boys at one time. It was pretty cool. Awesome. Well, that's really good. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, you, you take that in consideration, but then you took all that energy from teaching your boys, from your dad, whatever, to the business world. So I'm going to shift the gear a little bit back here a little bit, because mm -hmm. I know, you. I mean, I just know your energy. I mean, I got some of the same similarities because I, I get motivated so my feet hit the ground in the morning. And like, what I'm going to accomplish today, I make a lift of them. I got it in front of me now and I'll bark off what I've done. And with that done, I get tomorrow and get it done as well. But take all that energy that you, I know you have, know the wife and, and, and son into the business world. How does that equate in the things you do today? And tell us about what you're doing today. Well, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm busier now than I've ever been in my life. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody approaches <laughs> business the same way that I approach what I do. Uh, and so many times I've been involved with, could have been absolutely wonderful opportunities in the business world and the other people just kind of dropped the ball and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. I wish I was in a position where I had made the crazy kind of money these guys make. So I could have had my own business that I owned and controlled. 
So I'm at the mercy of doing stuff and working with people and for people. And I can't control that. And that's, that's that was, it's been very difficult and very frustrating for me uh, to see a lot of the things go by the wayside that uh, I would have been able to been really successful at. And, and not successful for me to have a crazy amounts of money, because if I had crazy amounts of money, I would do a lot of things to help a lot of other people. I'm a much better giver than a receiver. There's so many charities and worthwhile things that are out there. I don't have that kind of money to do stuff. I had a guy that was that drove me to the airport today and I was coming back from playing in, in the World uh, Senior Pickleball Championships, which I won two gold medals with, by the way. Uh, I, I'm in the cab and doing, I hear this guy talking and somebody calls on the phone. He said, well, no, please don't do that. You know, she said, well, I had to take the 77. Oh no, I need that to do this. And I'm hearing that. So I got done with the cab ride and doing stuff and I'm leaving it and he's trying to do country music and he's got a family and everything. And I left, I said, look here, go, go, go pay, go pay your money for your little thing. So he suggests and take it out of your checking account. It's, it's so nice to be able to do something to help people when they don't expect it and the only thing only thing i want from it is just to be appreciative of the fact i did stuff when i was younger i think you know christmas cheer for children christmas has always been the favorite holiday for me you know wonderful time and you know clifford ray leaves a tree up in his house all the time because everybody's more friendly at christmas so he leaves a tree up and so i started thinking christmas cheer for children i went out every contact i had i got things donated did stuff i got the team to go with me i got the time i was with the yokes and my father-in-law was there and he got dressed up like santa claus and we would go and bring toys and stuff to some of the orphanages and other places blah 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 get you know dinners and stuff for people and it i went to one place and do it the kids were so unappreciative of the fact that we came to give them something that they would have gotten nothing and to bring all of these toys and all these other things and clothes and whatever to them. It turned me off so bad. I said, I'm not doing this because nobody knew it. I didn't do any for recognition, but I didn't get the appreciation. And I said, I'm done. Yeah. If you're interested and you have stuff, these are the best things ever. It's called GoSleeves.com. G-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-S. GoSleeves.com. Just check it out. Unbelievable products for knees, for calves and Achilles. I'm trying to get Clay Thompson to get it to him so he would, you know, just wear them when he's practicing. I think they could be helpful to him. But these are great products, well-made, not that expensive. Put in the code if you decide to get them. RB, small RB24, and you get a nice discount on them, but check them out. I wear them all the time when I play. RB24. RB24 is the code at ghostsleeves.com. And then, Got it. And then, then I'm in a cannabinoid company that's the sponsor of the PPA, the Professional Pickleball Association, called Medicileaf, M-E-D-I-C-I-L-E-A-F, medicileaf.com. Put in 24 is the code there. They have some incredible products. I put them on all the time before I play. They got roll-ons. They have a sab with 5,500 milligrams. It's awesome. I just gave some to some of the people at the tournament I played, and they said, oh, my God, this stuff is incredible. And I just <laughs> firsthand what it's done for people. And, you know, don't awesome. be taking all these other stupid drug things. And, and you know, you know, I mean, seriously, you don't want to be doing that. You can, There's stuff out there that's all natural. Give it a shot. Medisaleaf.com, code 24. Thank you so much. All righty. Take care. God bless you guys. Thanks. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540 
615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Welcome back to the Winner Circle Network and Center Court, Ralph. Way, 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 way too much fun. As you said, uh, Rick Barry is not shy at, uh, with questions. So uh, that was a pretty good uh, conversation. I, I enjoyed me some Rick Barry. Mac, uh, you know, one of the most competitive guys that I've ever been around yeah. in my life, you know, uh, and I didn't get to play against him. I watched him play. I knew the caliber of person he was when I watched him play with Coach Al Adels and all the great players he played with, but he's so competitive. Even today, he played the pickleball, the anything he does, he has that competitive spirit that he wants to win. And that's what I love about him because he has not changed since I met him many, many years ago. And he's been the same person consistently uh, through my time and spending my time, even golf, pickle, whatever it may be, he's so competitive. Yeah, back when he was playing, so, uh, there was a, uh, a, a wife who remarked, uh, I'd hate to play Scrabble or Hearts with Rick Barry. If you beat him, he probably would overturn the board, shove the cards down your throat. I never saw a guy that tough on himself. Everything. I'm just saying, yeah, everything was competitive, which, which is great. I mean, you know, that's some of the things that I like about him because, I mean, it's hard for me to, I mean, I have a competitive nature as well, but his doesn't turn off. Right. Mine, I at least let it sleep at night sometimes. I'll wake <laughs> up and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Which is pretty good. Well, I understand as we get ready to wrap up today, but I understand you have a beginning date for the Ralph Sampson American Tap House. And uh, I, so you're closer now to at least saying, we think we know when we're going to throw the doors open. Well, you know, all the lovely permits from the city of Charlottesville are winding down. All the materials are in. Now we're building it out. And at least we have some directions uh, and some ideas when open. So we look forward to early December. That's awesome. I'll let you guys know out there. Early December, stay tuned. Go to social media, check it out. I'll start posting pictures. There should be a press release out in the next number of days as well about uh, opening. And it's going to be fun. I got some great pictures and archives and stuff that I'm bringing to the tap house as well. Uh, one was in the uh, arena, University Hall. Yeah in the entryway, I found it in somebody's basement. So I'm bringing that back. Mac, I'm picking that up this weekend. So it's good. I'll have it in my house. I'll keep it. And it'll be in there with me and Patrick Ewing. So I'm excited about it. You know, I'll be more excited after after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, because it'll be coming really fast at that point in time. You know what I thought about the other day? Somebody was asking me about your restaurant, how far along it was and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I thought into November 1st of December that it was going to open. Are there any, anywhere... University Hall bricks. Yes, I still have some. I, mean, I got yours. I, I still you one. I know. I still. I got to come get it. But I mean, was there a wall or a, a little statue, or is there, or just a couple of bricks that are going to be in the house that are going to be in the restaurant? <laughs> no, Mac, you know, actually, that's a good idea. I never thought about that, but I have a whole tub full of them, and uh, I'm actually going to figure out how to incorporate it into the design. Yes, yeah. I mean, I wish I had enough for a wall, but I have enough for some displays or. Or whatever. Yes, I, I, I will yeah. figure that out. Yeah, I don't even know what to suggest. All right. Well, look, have a good week. Enjoy all the football and the basketball that's uh, that's right in front of us. I'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. Have a great week. 
You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.